Well, it is good to see you. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. We'll be uh, opening up chapter 3 today as we are walking verse by verse through uh, this precious book. James being a brother of Jesus, one who was not a follower of his brother as the Lord and Messiah until after the resurrection, but he's speaking here to a to a people who need to understand what uh, an unshakable faith looks like. With all the persecution pressing upon them, the internal battles that they're, they're also facing, how are they going to live? How many of you have ever heard of the phrase, a Freudian slip? How many of you have been guilty of that, perhaps? There was... Certainly many things askew in Freudian's um, uh, thought, but he was actually on to something when he was speaking about speech. I would even commend that it aligns with Jesus' teaching about our speech. Freud said that sometimes repressed thoughts or feelings slip out between your nose and your chin. Things you didn't mean to say, but you've been thinking them or you've been uh, uh, trying to uh, repress them in so they wouldn't ever come out. And you consciously or unconsciously try to keep them hidden, but sooner or later they escape, sometimes with uh, enlightenment and sometimes with embarrassing effects. Way before Freud ever came up with a concept, Jesus made a, a simple but profound statement in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not really what we say that is uh, the problem. It's what's going on in our heart. Certainly what we say is a, a problem, but we can correct our speech but not correct our heart, which just means we're repressing it and it will come out again. We've got to pray that we're surrendering our minds our hearts, and our mouths to the glory of God. What we say matters. And over the next 18 verses in chapter 3, we'll see how words uh, are evaluated and what God thinks of our words and what we say. Uh, Today, uh, Lord willing, I'm only going to cover the first 12 verses. Uh, It's really a uh, three-point process, but I don't have enough time to uh, expound on all of those. So I'm going to take the first two, and then I'm going to unpack the third one uh, next week. If you've ever discovered a wild animal prowling around your your neighborhood, perhaps you are brave enough to go catch it, or you call the animal control, the dog catcher. They come, they pick up the stray cat, the dog, they run off the raccoon, they scare off the skunks. But imagine if there was a word catcher because of wild words coming around you. You called the word catcher. A successful occupation in any economy, I would suggest. But imagine the razor-tooth invective concerned by a couple of word catchers where they have to walk up to it. Careful now, careful. That's a mean one. Too often there are careless words. There are curse words. There are hurtful words. There's gossip. There's worldly wisdom just spat out as if it's truth. There's a forked tongue. Wordplay with semantics. 
political speak, loophole lies, and the diction of deception. These things we should be concerned about. And when we are guilty of it, we ought to repent. Word catchers will capture these words and they'll bring them right back to your front door and say, do these belong to you? They've been running in the neighborhood. They've been running throughout your workplace. They've been running throughout all your relationships. And we found that they are at home with you. How often have you thought that what you were saying was just words and they actually, uh, actually revealed your own heart? As Jesus said, our mouths express our hearts. Few things can give us a better read on a person than the pattern of their speech. Do you agree? Clamps could be put on tongues, but it's not long before the well-established speech patterns reassert themselves. In James chapter 1, just kind of gets you the flow of where we have arrived. In James chapter 1, the overview of that is we, we learned we can have an unshakable faith because of the wisdom of God. It doesn't matter what's taking place externally or internally. When we lean on the wisdom, we can navigate the difficult days that we're in. In James chapter 2, we learned that we can have an unshakable faith by what we do. If we say we're a believer... It's more than just the words we say or the beliefs we say we hold. Action has to follow. In chapter 3, we're going to see that an unshakable faith with our speech is building upon the wisdom of God, which proves itself in our behavior and our words. James gives us three primary characteristics of an unshakable faith that speaks. I'll give you all three, and then we'll unpack them. Maturity, consistency, and purity. We'll deal with purity next week. But I want to unpack what it means to be mature with our speech and also consistent with our speech. Let's look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1, where faith speaks with maturity. The key phrase in this section, I'll look at verse 1 through 5. The key phrase here is in verse 2, he is a perfect man. This is not a person without fault. That's not what it's indicating as if you are no longer sinful, no longer uh, uh, doing anything uh, that could be held to account. No, it is indicating there's a person of maturity, one who is growing up. It's not really about perfection. It's about the direction of your words. So the key phrase being a perfect man, that is our goal. So faith speaks with maturity. The natural man speaks out of his own selfishness and his own desires. So let's walk through what it looks like to be a mature person who speaks. The entirety of this passage has a bent towards negativity. And I I don't want to avoid that because there's a condemnation here. Evaluate your words. If you find yourself on the opposite end of God's glory, then you need to stop, repent, and change your speech by changing your heart towards God. 
But I want us to not just say, well, there's a negative side. Well, what would the positive side, what is God calling us to? And that's where I I find that the mature man, the mature person, has some various things in his life so that he avoids the condemnation. He avoids the direction that's being condemned here. So the first thing you'll see in verse 1 is this. Maturity has accountability. There's built-in accountability. He begins right there with the teachers. He says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a, straight, uh, with a greater strictness. Meaning, if you're going to step up and, and take the position of, of authority, you're teaching what God says, you're going to be held to account for that. There's accountability, and it's not just those around you. Ultimately, it's God who is holding you account, accountable for what you say. That's why just not everybody should take the position, well, I'm going to be a teacher, I'm going to be the influencer. You know, the whole world is full of people who want to be influencers. But who's holding them to account by what they say? False counsel is given often if it's not directed from the Scripture, the Almighty God who has spoken. Our speech must be aligned with His speech. Otherwise, we are going negative in perhaps destructive way. Maturity in our speech has accountability. A mature man understands that he must give an account for what he says. He thinks before he speaks. Perhaps he, he prays and seeks God's wisdom before he shares. James has learned this since being a child. Peter, likewise, is far better with words later in his life than he was earlier, is what Jesus said to, to Peter. The teacher here is the one responsible for leading others. His words carry weight. I would even suggest to you as an applicational point that as a believer in Christ, you may never lead a class. You may never stand before people and preach a message. But there are people listening to what you say all the time. And when you say, I'm a believer in Christ and I have faith in Him, they're listening to what you say and how you respond to the difficulties of life. They're going to listen for the wisdom that you have in God or the worldly wisdom that you're promoting with greater weight than you do the words of God. What we say matters, and we are held to account for what we say. Since the teacher represented God, the teacher's words must be God's words and wisdom. And we already know that if anyone lacks wisdom, just ask God. You say, I don't know what to say. Ask him. And God will give you the words at the right moment, as Jesus promised that to his own disciples. The second thing I want you to see, it's not just the accountability. I want you to see that people who speak have authority. A mature man has authority. In verse 2, for if we all stumble in many ways, or for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, a mature man, a growing individual. Able, also able to bridle his whole body. Wow, how powerful this small little tongue is to, to control the entirety of your body. A mature man doesn't keep constantly tripping over his words, uh, making mistakes consistently. He has stability and exercises authority over his words. 
He's baptized his mind in the words of Christ. Therefore, when he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God. A mature man doesn't give excuses. Oh, it just slipped out. Oh, I I couldn't help myself. Well, Well, I just had to. As we're all tempted to do at times. A mature man, a mature person has the authority. So therefore, there's no excuses for the consistency of stumbling. In verse 3, I want you to notice, it says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. A mature man gains control over his mouth and directs it. How many of you could use a bit in your mouth once in a while? Hold back. If we said everything that came through our mind, it would be neither helpful to us nor the receiver of those words. Now, certainly there are times when we hold back in times we should be speaking because God has prompted us to speak, but we are fearful of rejection, fearful of being misunderstood, and we withhold when God has certainly said, speak. But here, it's that's too often we speak, but we do not have the right words or the guidance of those words in a, in a way that is helpful and holy. A mature person gains control over his mouth and directs it. See, the horse is very strong, has great power. And when directed under the authority of that that bit and the the rider, it accomplishes great things. And when we speak, I wonder how much horsepower is coming out. Remember the days of the muscle car? 400, 500 horsepower engines. Man. Man. I've met some people like that with their mouth. We don't know, it just blew through, but boy, it was a lot. Impressive, nonetheless. But perhaps they ran over a few people along the way. It's powerful, but dangerous if not held in the right hands. Not held in the right mind. I want you to know there's an authority, there's a power that that you have with your tongue. I wonder how you're directing it. Powerful for benefit or powerful for detriment? I want you to see verse 4, what he goes on to say. He's going to talk about the rudder. He goes from the bit to the rudder. And, and this is where I believe maturity has agility. It has, it has some uh, it easily and quickly be able to move where it needs to. It says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a small, very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. It is amazing how big ships can be turned by something so minute. But a mature person has agility, that, the power to move quickly and easily, even through a storm with their tongue. In chapter 1, James told us to consider it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. These storms that come. So the storms of life are navigated by God's wisdom and how we speak truth even in those circumstances. You know, sometimes the most detrimental language we have is what we say to ourselves. God's doing something in you in the midst of a difficulty or tragedy or, or, or difficult circumstance you're in it. And, and you can look at God's Word and speak truth back to yourself, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to, to help those thoughts marinate, to believe what you can't see yet. 
God's going to get you through the storm. God's going to build your character. All these things that we speak to ourselves that, that God's saying, read these words, believe them, trust me, pray to me, live in boldness by what I've said. But sometimes we replace God's holy words with our own insecurities, our own negative thoughts, perhaps bringing words out from our past that someone has said to us and we replay those in our mind over and over again and we live based on other people's words and not the words of Christ. God speaks truth and love. I love that God saves people in every walk of life. Some of you were blessed to grow up in a Christian home and you got some beauty, beautiful words and encouragement along the way. And some of you grew up in homes that were horrible, shameful. And whatever words were spoken to you, sometimes you're living off those words. And you're accountable and you're responsible for what you do. It doesn't matter where you came from, you're responsible, but God can look into your life and say, you know what, you may be as far away from me as, as any person on, on earth could be, but you're not far enough that I can't get you and bring you back and speak words of truth and love to you. You are forgiven. You are embraced. You are cherished. And you can be transformed by me. Stop living on the lies of the devil. And start living on the words of truth. I speak life. As he did in the beginning in Genesis. Let there be light. And there was light. And I love when Jesus said to Lazarus. Lazarus come forth. And there was life. And he can speak even to the hardest heart. In the coldest place. And the person that you think would never be reached or spoken to by God. And God speaks to their heart and says. Come forth. I love you. I don't select you. I don't trawl you out because of your worthiness. I did it because I am worthy and I give you worth. Storms of life are navigated by God's wisdom and how we speak truth to ourselves and to others in the midst of that. Maturity has the agility to change immediately. Maturity has the ability, look at verse 5, it talks about the small fire. So also the tongue is a small member, such a small little thing, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Fire can be a good thing, and it can be an awful thing, and, and a disastrous, destructive thing. A fire can bring light and warmth. It also can cause devastation. I googled this week. I said, what are the top five causes for fire other than the intentional uh, aspects? Well, cooking over a stove is the number one. Anybody caused a fire in their oven? Shh, it went up a little high. A space heater is second. Third, plugging something into an outlet, which I do all the time. But there are those who perhaps plug something that they shouldn't plug into it. Lighting a cigarette is the fourth top cause for a fire in a home. And we've heard of stories. People light up a cigarette and then they fall asleep and their house burns up. Lighting a candle is the fifth. 
Sometimes we have good reasons why to start a fire, but left uncontrolled, it, it, it has the ability to do disastrous uh, results. It's difficult to exaggerate the effects of our tongue when we speak. Your words will either give life or it'll kill the spirit of another. Not only do our words hurt people face to face, in fact, oftentimes our words are hurting long range, like shooting long range missiles, speaking about someone without them present in a negative way to, to, uh, to bring them down in the, in the minds and hearts of other people. Gossip repeated causes damage long after it's started. Words can prompt people to violence, or words properly directed can move people to humble action. Words can instruct the ignorant, encourage the downhearted, and comfort the suffering, but words can also crush the spirit, destroy reputations, spread distrust and hate. Words have even brought nations to war. How are we using our words? We have the ability to lift up or to destroy. And James says, you better watch your words. But I want you to see here now, a maturity is shown through how we use our words. But faith also speaks, and here's the second point, is faith speaks with consistency. It's not we had a good day with our words, or we living out a life of holy, properly directed words. The key phrase here is going to be in verse 10, where these things ought not to be. There's an inconsistency that ought not to be. James shows inconsistency of words in this section and how the unshakable faith must be consistent and unchanging. You know your, your direction and you're going to stay the course. James contributes uh, in this section a heap of metaphors upon metaphors, fire, body, wild beast, poison, water, and plants. Perhaps this will be helpful to you. But in verse 6, I see a consistency has a direction. To be consistent in something, you want to make sure you're consistent in the right direction. We can be consistently wrong. Doing the same thing over and over again. I remember when I was on swim team years ago when I was a little kid. And, uh, and I, I could do the freestyle. I could do the backstroke. I, I attempted to do the butterfly if I get my arms around. But it was the breaststroke that I was consistently wrong. I had a scissors kick. I don't even know what that means because I couldn't see my legs at the time. They were saying, you got a scissors kick. And I'm like, I'm just doing what I thought I saw the frog do. But I would be disqualified every time. So doing it the way that feels comfortable is not and consistently comfortable doesn't mean it's consistently accurate. With our words, have we aligned our mind, renewed our mind under the Word of God, and aligned our words, you know, based on what's in the heart comes out? So therefore, are we aligning our heart, therefore our words, to be consistent in the right direction? Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, when used wrongly. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Very descriptive language. The fire here is a deadly and destructive force. Ask anybody who lives in the western uh, part of the United States about fires. Go to California, Oregon, Washington. 
Sometimes it slips over into the other states, so they're a little more east of that. But when the fire comes through, uncontrolled fires with the wind blowing are very challenging to stop. Very dangerous. So are the uncontrolled words with no correction. I remember growing up a portion of my life in Las Vegas, Nevada, and they would always have the, the um, um, who's the bear that would, Smokey the bear, who would say, you know, always put out your, you know, your, your, your campfires before you leave. You know, have this little cur- cartoon that, you know, you start a fire, that's really good, but if it's not doused before you exit, it could start a fire that would, would wipe out 100,000 acres of land and property. When do we stop it? When we start. When, we, when we're about to speak. You listen to James' strong description of the uncontrolled tongue. He says, a world of unrighteousness. He says, staining of the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life. This isn't a minor thing in your life. What you say, you think, oh, it's just a minor. I just said a few words in this one particular context. But that can catch a wind that can do some damage that you cannot pull back. This entire course of life literally means a wheel. Looking back in the Greek, there's a wheel of life. The course of life, the direction that you're heading The picture of the tongue is the center of that wheel. The spokes of the areas of your life. That tongue that speaks affects all areas. All the spokes of your life. Affects your relationships at home, at work, in your neighborhood, in your church, everywhere you go. And it's set on fire by hell. By nature, we are hell bound. We speak out of a heart of, of, of sinfulness. As Christians, for, you know, thank goodness God gives us the Holy Spirit to, to give us promptings and, and warnings along the way. But the tongue left uncontrolled is hell-bound by our own admission of words. In contrast, a consistent man strengthens the axle, his heart. And the tongue sets the direction in the course of life. What words are you speaking this week that give you the direction that, that honors God? Consistency also has a discipline. It's not just about the direction. There's a discipline to it. And verse 7 and 8 uh, expose this thought. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being contain the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is more restless and deadly than the wildest beast. It can jump up and bite us at any time. Yesterday I took a couple of my kids to the Humane Society. That's a fun place to go. Cute puppies. Older dogs just with the saddest looking eyes saying, take me home. And then one say, if you touch me, I'm going to kill you. And they jump, you know, they get all this, you know, evil. I'm like, nope, sorry, that's why you're still here. But you think about the, the tongue, the, the way we, we, we use it. Sometimes people see us go, oh, nope, I'm not taking you home. 
Because the way we use it, we think we're, we're, we're making an impact and all we're doing is, is, uh, uh, is pushing people away. It says no one here can tame it. But once again, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. We cannot tame our tongue on our own. We're always going to act out of our own sinful, selfish, natural bent. So therefore, even on a daily basis, you ought to pray, God, I pray that you would renew my mind, you would continue to work in my heart, and direct my tongue. I don't want to say a careless word. I don't want to say a hurtful word. I want to say truth with love in a way that makes an influence for you. God is able to overcome any of our struggles. God's Spirit through God's Word is able to transform our tongue if we are a child of God. And consistency has discipline. Daily, moment by moment, we ought to think and ask God before we speak. Daily exercises of self-control. Which leads me to the, the last few verses here in this particular section. Consistency has delight. Why is it you want to direct your tongue? Why is it you want to hold every thought captive and every word directed? Because you, you notice it has to do with our relationship with the Lord. You may think someone else deserves uh, the biting of your tongue, but the reality is we speak as representatives of Christ in every situation. Therefore, our consistency has a delight in, in the source of our life, which is God himself. Look at verse 9. With it, talking about our tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father. That He's the one who created the tongue. He's the one guiding our heart and our mind. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And I speak it that way intentionally going, it, it, it ought to do a, a mind bending here going, I'm blessing the Lord, but I'm going to curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It doesn't, it doesn't match. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. It's not consistent. How can you say you love God but hate your brother? How can you say you love God and you're going to worship Him and live your life for Him, but your words are going to tear everybody down in the the way? Verse 11, does a spring forth, pour forth from the same opening, both Fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and a, and a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's inconsistent. Nobody wants inconsistency. If you listen to the, to the radio, do you want to listen to country music and it's rap station that day? Or, or every third song is a rap song? You're going, that's not why I tuned in. If you're listening to the rap station and they throw a country song in there once in a while, you go, oh, what happened? Yeah, I, I, I tuned in intentionally for this. I want consistency. In our relationships, we want consistency. And it appears to me that the Lord is calling us back to delighting in Him so there's a consistency that our heart is connected to Him and our words are demonstrating and representing Him in our lives. When we lack a direction and discipline, we typically lack a delight in the Lord. We check the box that we love God, but we do not display that consistently through what we do. We sing worship songs together and then we argue and fight all the way home. 
My brothers, these things ought not to be. We sit down for a family meal, we pray and we thank God for the day, and then the entirety of the meal we complain about how awful the day was. These things ought not to be. Which one is true in our lives? Are we thankful or are we just going to criticize and complain? Do we thank the Lord he gave us breath today or do we complain that we had too much to do today? Do we thank God for our, for our family or do we just sit there and go, well, I wish they would be like this or like that. I just wish they'd be different. Are we thankful or are we just critical? The inconsistency James speaks of is too common even here this morning. As, as believers in Christ who desire an unshakable faith, my biggest prayer for you this morning, and myself as well, is that we would pursue a consistency in delighting in the Lord. If we were to get that right, I think the other things would be corrected. God, I want to honor you today with how I think, with how I feel, with my will and my words. Let me give you five phrases that would transform your tongue as we close out. Five phrases. We're going back to preschool. These aren't hard. You already know these. But if these five phrases were more prominent in your communication, I think you would have a difference in how you're impacting. The first one is please. Please. It acknowledges you're not the authority but you are thankful for the opportunity to ask, please. Thank you. These words show appreciation. How often are things done for you that you've taken for granted? In your home? In your workplace? At a local restaurant? Where you say, thank you. If you go to Chick-fil-A, what will they say? My pleasure. I've said that around my house sometimes. You know, sometimes there's a chuckle, my pleasure. But we ought to honestly say that. Please, thank you. Here's, here's the third phrase. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry but I'm, I'm genuinely sorry. If I've offended, if I've upset, if I've done something wrong, I'm sorry. Just this short phrase breaks down barriers and builds bridges. How about these words, I love you. Too often we immediately go to a romantic situation, I love you. But genuine, honest, good-hearted connection to somebody is, I love you. I can say that to a man, I can say that to a woman, I can, I love you as a brother in Christ, I love you as a sister, I love you as a person, I love you as a creation of God, made in the likeness of God. I love you is expressing a deep connection and care for the other person. And the last phrase I'll give you, I'm praying for you. When you talk to God about others, and then you talk to others about God, it's one of the greatest gifts you can ever give to another human being. I'm praying for you. And even pray with them. Today, I, I want us to understand an unshakable faith can be had when we, we speak, displaying a maturity and a consistency. Next, year, next week, I want to look at purity. What does it mean to be pure with the wisdom of God?